Welcome to Tax Breaks, the Moody's Tax Podcast, where you find informed discussions, lively debate, and sometimes a little lighthearted fun around tax issues in Canada, the United States, and around the world. Good day, and welcome to Moody's Tax Breaks, another edition of our firm's podcast. My name is Kim Moody. I'm the CEO of Moody's Tax, and I'm here with my colleague, Kenneth Kung. Hello, everyone. Kenneth is the uh, director of Moody's Tax and for Canadian Tax Advisory and one of the smartest guys around. So today, Kenneth, we're, uh, what is today? It's September 29th. Almost a week ago, mm-hmm. uh, we had the pleasure or displeasure of listening and dissecting the throne speech, mm-hmm. uh, which was released uh, on September 23rd. I've been rather vocal about it on my personal LinkedIn account. Uh, but, you know, politics aside and all the other stuff aside, what what are some of the tax measures that uh, you know that were signaled in 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 the in the throne speech? And before you answer that, it's more of a rhetorical question. I, I thought maybe what we do today is just briefly discuss some of the tax and related issues that came out of the throne speech. And of course, anybody that knows what a throne speech is and the history of it, you're not going to get a lot of detail out of it. And certainly, this throne speech had virtually zero detail, but there's certainly some signals uh, in here that are, you know, that raise the eyebrows and raise some concerns. And given the fact that the NDP have signaled that they're going to support this, it, it's something that we need to be uh, mindful of, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, parsing through this, you know, long, somewhat boring speech. <laughs> that's just my personal opinion here. Uh, let's focus on some of the tax stuff. So. Kenneth, the first one that I'll get you to comment on here is in the supporting business section of the speech, it, it, they say this. It says, the government will help businesses adapt for the future and thrive this fall. In addition to extending the wage subsidy, which we'll talk about in a second, the government will take further steps to bridge vulnerable businesses to the other side of the pandemic by, and the first bullet, expanding the Canada Emergency Business Account to help businesses with fixed costs. So what do we think about that, Kenneth? Because the SEBA, as we you know, affectionately call it, man, oh man, that's been the subject of a lot of, you know, uh, debates in terms of how they can improve it. And, and the debate has been more about access to who should get it. You know, does this really give us a clear line in terms of the fact that they're going to increase accessibility? Or well, I don't know, what do we no, think? No, I, I have no idea what they mean here. Because currently, so originally the SEBA is available to anyone with sufficient payroll payroll expense in 2019. And later on, they changed the criteria to expand it further so that um, people don't have enough payroll expense in 2019 can still qualify if they have sufficient uh, non-deferrable expenses. And these non-deferrable expenses um, the CRA gives some guidelines to that on their website, um, but it's and and some for some businesses they're okay with it because they have enough say rent and property tax and insurance, uh, and and the and operating costs that are deemed to be non deferrable expenses. But for some businesses they don't meet those requirements. And when the throne speech says they're going to help businesses with fixed costs. Fixed cost sounds to me just like non-deferrable expense. So this it, this does not seem like a change in policy to me. 
Yeah, that's certainly what struck me when I read it. But if, but again, you know, as we've said, devil's in the details, and we haven't seen any details yet. So I guess the message here is let's, you know, keep keep our ears to the ground and see what happens. So yeah, probably not much more to say than that. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it is somewhat interesting, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word, that you know they still have their eye on the ball on this yeah. issue. And I I think well, I think the most likely is they're going to. I think they will keep the eligibility criteria the same or similar, but they're going to do another tranche of loan. So previously, it was $40,000. I personally think they're going to come and announce another, say, $40,000 for businesses that meet those old criteria. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, just looking further down, they're skipping uh, the second bullet because it talks about business credit availability program. They're going to improve that apparently. But the third one, which I can tell you is a very underused, especially in the private, yeah, private business space. Totally. I mean, even in our own client base, I, I can't think of a single example where it's been used. Have you? No. Or can you think of? Yeah. No. Third one kind of caught my attention here. It says, and introducing further support for industries that have been the hardest hit, including travel and tourism, hospitality, and cultural industries like the performing arts. You know, that caught my attention because what are they going to do? Like, are they simply going to give cash? Uh, to these industries and if so holy cow I mean that's you know it, travel industry it, that smacks to me like perhaps the airline industry mm-hmm. are they going to you know bail out the airline industry because certainly they're hurting like crazy mm-hmm. right now um, what what did you think when you saw that Kenneth well the most to me the most logical would be to expand the uh, the, the wage subsidy program for these industries they already have that like uh, wage subsidy mechanic, it's not perfect, but it's there. It's complex. It's complex, um, but it does. To to claim the wage subsidy, you need to have people on your payroll, which so it's um it keeps business afloat and it helps employment. So to me, that seems to be the most logical. Um, maybe for these targeted industries. Um, but what are they gonna do? I mean, a lot of these. It. Yeah, but a lot of these industries don't even require employees anymore because there's no work to do. So they're furloughed or mm-hmm. yep. or they're permanently laid off. Increase right? the furlough benefit. Like if they're gonna give if they are gonna give free cash to these businesses, they may as well tell them to use those free cash and put it in the pockets of the furloughed employees. I guess they could think about that. That would be a complete rethink, right? Of I guess not necessarily. We already have the system, it's just increasing the dollar amount. Expensive. Yeah, they they do have the system, I guess, on the wage subsidy where they have that increased support amount for furloughed employees. I, th- mm-hmm. I think that's probably what you're thinking about and talking about. Yeah. But yeah, they'd have to make it much more lucrative than it is today, though. Um, mm-hmm. I would it, think. Yeah, they probably a completely hundred percent wage subsidy support for these furloughed employee. Right. So I guess we'll just keep our ear to the ground on yeah. that. And, and the side benefit they, in their mind would be if they just give free cash to these businesses, what's stopping them from paying big bonuses to executive? But tying it directly to making sure the money goes to the pockets of the federal employee, none of that money touch the executive, which is what the liberals are all about. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll just keep our ear to the ground on that one too. So jumping ahead in the speech, you know, there's not much tax things other than this these couple paragraphs here. So it says, in the longer term, the government will focus on targeted investments to strengthen the middle class, build resiliency, and generate growth. 
Okay, I'll stop there. That's the first sentence. And then I'll keep reading this, you know, the second uh, and concluding sentence here shortly. But what do we think targeted investments to strengthen the middle class, build resiliency, and generate growth? What 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 does that nice sounding statement mean in your mind, Kenneth? Mm. Well, let's think back to what they did previously when they used that kind of phrasing. Well, they lowered the tax bracket. Uh, they lowered the tax rate for the middle bracket a little bit. Yeah. And they introduced some nice things like which are still very underused for now, like the um the the free money that you get every year that builds up to an account that you can use for education. What do you say? RESP? No, not RESP. The, the every year you get two hundred fifty dollars oh, so that, credit. That credit yeah, yeah. yeah. I for for now nobody called. using it because it's so small. Yeah. But, but things like this that kind of Makes sense. Sounds good. And um, you know, I, on my LinkedIn account, I said, "Hmm, another middle tax class cut," which I have to think in this environment probably not, because that would be mm-hmm. major expensive. Mind you, this government is not about worrying about expenses, but mm-hmm. maybe they do, they I do guess, say this is not the time for austerity. Yeah, which I totally disagree yeah. with, but. Uh, um, but we won't comment on that too much, other than I disagree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I. I yeah, to me, like lowering the tax at the end of the year a little bit and giving you a slightly bigger tax refund, I don't know how much that does to stimulate the economy. Yeah. Um, maybe, how about sales tax? What do you think? Do you think they will lower the GST rate no. to, to stimulate buying? And because sales tax, uh, a lot of that is borne by the, um, really the, the lower tax, uh, lower income and middle income. Yeah, I mean, maybe it, it wouldn't be out of the question. Like, for example, BC, you know, in the provincial election uh, that's going on right now, um, I noticed that the BC Liberals, in their uh, election policy platform, stated that if they get elected, they're going to eliminate the B- BC PST in, in their first year and then reduce it to 3% in their second year. So I guess it's not out of the question they could do something like that. But I think that would be highly unusual. It's hugely expensive. Hugely expensive. I think I read somewhere when I saw that announced yesterday on the BC side that it would that would equate to about three percent of BC's GDP, which that's pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it was three percent. I might be wrong on that, but yeah. and most economists would, would say you go the other way. You increase sales tax and decrease income tax. Yeah, absolutely. You, yeah. 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 So I guess don't really know what that means, but. Keeping on with the throne speech in the second sentence here, the government will also identify additional ways to tax extreme wealth inequality. Okay, stop there for a second. Uh, I'm stopping in the middle of the sentence because the the concluding part of that sentence we'll talk about here uh, shortly. But what does finding ways to tax extreme wealth inequality mean? I'll tell you before while you think about that. For me. That, that seems to hint at a wealth tax, um, you know, which has been much, much discussed in the literature, or sorry, in the mainstream media over the last little while. It's been discussed in the U.S. election platform as well, or uh, uh, Democrat platform, and so Democratic platform. So I don't know. What do you think, Kenneth? Is, uh, is this the introduction of a Canadian wealth tax? I don't know. Um, if that's really what they're thinking, why hide it? Like they are in the neck. Okay, I know you're not 
moving on to the next part of the sentence, which talks about some of the measures yeah. they're thinking about. But no, why not mention wealth tax, especially when they're looking to gather support from um, the NDP, which yeah. really support that wealth tax? I'm not sure why they wouldn't be, you know, wholly transparent on that issue. But uh, when I read those words, tax extreme wealth inequality. Okay, so let's say you're very, very rich and I'm very, very poor. So what do you do to uh, to bridge that gap? Growth tax, yeah. And, and I, I, I do see your point because they did not, in the past, they usually say, we will ask the wealthy to pay a little bit more, yeah. which suggests tax increase. Right. They're saying finding new additional ways to tax extreme wealth inequality. It yeah. does sound like some new system. That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, the, the other thing that smacked to me and I, is, you know, is this a signal for a capital gains inclusion rate increase as well, given the fact that, you know, it's been argued that capital, capital gains inclusion rates, you know, the preferential rates of 50% benefit the wealthy more than it benefits the poor or lower income. Mm -hmm. So maybe that as well. What do you think? If they do, they can be inconsistent with the earlier sentence of targeted investment to strengthen the middle class. So if they do uh, play around with the capital gains inclusion rate, I think they're going, probably going to add an artificial threshold, which will be very, very hard to administer, I think, maybe. So in other words, adopt what the NDP were suggesting in the 2019 election, which is uh, anybody that has wealth over, just off the top of my head, I think it was $3 million, all of their capital gains, 100% is taxed. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're thinking? Is something like that? Something like that. Um, but it, of course, it's... Like, how do you yeah. do that administratively, right? Like you just said. Mm -hmm. That's craziness. But, okay. Keeping on with the sentence, it, it says, including by concluding to work to limit the stock option deduction for wealthy individuals at large established corporations. Uh, and I'll stop there. Uh, so that goes back to, you know, couple years now almost uh, where the liberals have you know introduced changes to the stock option deductions we've written lots about this um, in fact that was part of their election platform of how they got elected in the first place in 2015 yeah mm -hmm. but they really struggled with it and rightly so it's not an easy thing to to try to target change I mean it's easy just to eliminate the stock option deduction but if you still want to maintain it for certain companies or 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 executives of certain companies, and you want to target it like they're trying to do here, that's not an easy thing to do. And the Joint Committee, you know, which I was part of this submission, made a submission on this back in 2019. I still think that this thing is littered with, with issues. Much easier said than done. And if they do work to conclude it, uh, good on them. Uh, but frankly, as you and I have written and talked about and lectured about, you know, yes, it may. This may be good tax policy to improve neutrality, but <laughs> the amount of money that this is going to raise would be hardly anything, because ultimately they're going to give a deduction to corporations uh, to the extent that it's now taxable and so, um, to to you know to the recipient. So I I, I just think the benefits here are more political than than economic. And I don't know. What do you show, think, Kenneth? Social, right? It will it will reduce wealth inequality a little bit, even though no. the tax tech is the same. A little bit. A little bit, maybe. Yeah. Debatable but, as hell, but but like my my main issue with this is, like, 
the fact that they have broadcast their intention to do so with a grandfathering rule for so many years. In the past, uh, when tax changes comes, it comes without, without um, giving people time to prepare. And the reason is they don't want people' behavior to change to in, in anticipation of a tax change. But by telling people that they're going to be changing the stock options rules and having a grandfathering rule in to say stock options issued prior to a certain date will be grandfathered, um, this is, I, I don't think it's right. Like I, I, this is, so if, if you're my client, I will be telling you to issue these, all these stock options now before they announce the change in rules so that your options will be grandfathered in the future for advantageous tax rules. Yeah, we, t we talked about this back you know, in 2019 as well. Yeah. Just go to town on this stuff, right? Yeah. But but it's, that doesn't, if, if your goal is to address this kind of wealth inequality caused by these stock options, why are you giving us the opportunity to do this? Yeah. Yeah. But anyways. And then the last part, which I think we'll conclude on today because there's really not much else for, for tax stuff here in, in the throne speech was, um, you know, it says, and addressing corporate tax avoidance by digital giants. Okay, well. Digital giants would include Google, it would include Amazon, it would include Facebook, you know, and some other companies. Um, so, what are these companies doing, you know, that that countries around the world are, you know, concerned about their corporate tax avoidance uh, plans? So, just very high level, Kenneth, what are they doing? Well, uh, for these corporate uh, giants, uh, media giants, like where they, they most of them would base most of their income earning operations outside of the country from which they are earning their clicks. And by doing so, they are not paying much, if at all, income taxes in those countries where their audience are. And I don't know where they are putting their, their functions, but they're likely in uh, more tax haven jurisdiction, probably like Ireland, uh, Cyprus. Ones, yeah. yeah. So, so that's and and that and um, and also and Kim, you can probably speak to this as well. Um, the how how the media giants are decimating the the traditional um, news media yeah. businesses uh, in, in 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 all the countries. Yeah, and how, you you and I've talked about this before. I've been rather vocal about this online and also you know in front of various parliamentary committees. But I don't think it's any secret that these digital giants, you know, will especially Facebook, for example, using that as an example, uh, will suck up content from various news platforms, you know, and, uh, and then, <laughs> and don't, they don't pay for it. Uh, but in the meanwhile, they, you know, have significant advertising revenues on their platforms. And really, what, what is that doing? It's, it's shifting you know, advertising revenues from traditional newspapers to and journalists to you know, to the social media giants and to the digital giants. And, and I just don't think that's fair. And I don't think that's ever been fair. And, you know, that's led to uh, some countries' responses on how to protect journalist industries. And I think Canada's response has been rather pathetic, which is, you know, introducing journalist journalism tax credits, which is, I think, a danger to our democracy. But, but uh, do I think that they need to address this sucking up of content for free and and uh, and the decimation of our journalist industry. Yeah, I, I do think they do. And so how do they do that? Well, some countries are introducing 
so-called digital services taxation, so that if you're targeting to your country's recipients, uh, you're going to pay. And, and France, for example, has introduced, what was it, 3%, I think, mm-hmm. of, yeah. of any revenue attributable to French residents. And you know, the United States took that as, as an attack on, on the United States company, and they got into a big battle on that. And other countries around the world are responding with similar. And Canada, um, you know, in the Liberals' 2019 election platform, said that they want to introduce it. And they're saying it now in this throne speech. But meanwhile, the OECD is asking countries to, you know, slow down the introduction of a digital services tax so that they can take a look at this issue. And, and the OECD is, but I think a lot of countries like Canada are just getting very impatient, mm-hmm. and rightfully so to a certain extent. So I don't know. What's your thoughts, Ken? Yeah, you, the worst case scenario from OECD perspective is everyone imposed a unilateral tax and creating all sort of double tax issues um, and 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 from their perspective, they would want a overall global framework on how income should be allocated to different countries. But I guess there's too many players involved, too many lobbyists involved, and they and, well, and then COVID hit, and yeah, they, they the, never. And got the proposal that yet. the proposals that they released on this has been pretty challenging, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not easy to get consensus on this stuff. So, so I think Kenneth, that that's. You know, that's the tax platform oh, stuff. Did you purposely skip the uh, halving the corporate tax rate on zero emission products, yes, I did businesses? Pur- <laughs> yeah. Okay, Kenneth, tell us what that's about. Yes, I did uh, purposely skip that. but So if uh, you, so they're saying, well, this is not old news too. They have kind of hinted that before. If, you cre- if your business creates zero emission products, then your corporate tax rate will be half of what it is today. So we should all think about how to convert our products into zero emission products, Kim. <laughs> yes, Kenneth. <laughs> and as I said on, you know, to some people, so if we create a tax plan and we do it digitally as opposed to typing it on paper, mm-hmm. is that improving our emissions and does that qualify? And therefore we should... We, we probably need to put a restriction, print restriction on it so our clients cannot print it on their end either. Oh, so that's the way we do it. Then really? we get cut out, cut out corporate tax rate. Now. So, so do you not see the silliness of this <laughs> until they put some really defined lines around that, and then debate the tax policy of that? You know, should the tax system be used to promote the so-called green agenda? Well, maybe. My personal opinion is, I think there's better ways, but it, it just adds a ton of complexity, a ton of uncertainty, and and in my view, it's posturing that that. Yeah, I, I think is littered with problems. So yes, Kenneth, I purposely avoided that topic, but thank you for. <laughs> so did we miss anything else? I don't think so. Uh, the wage subsidy got extended oh, to next summer. Good point. That, yeah. That's a very big one. So what? Do, with no details, right? Geez, I'm glad you reminded. We almost forgot about that. Mm-hmm. That's an important one. Um, as we know, the wage subsidy, the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, is extremely complex. We're on the second version today as we speak on September the 29th, mm-hmm. 2020. It's scheduled to end just before Christmas. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it is the wage, the legislation ends by the end of the year, but there's actually no rules prescribed yet for the last month for December. Right. So if they do want to extend this, as you, you and I were talking offline, I mean, the, the quantum of the available subsidy towards the end is pretty small, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because they were thinking this program will end uh, right. end of this year. 
But if they're going to extend it to the end of summer, you know, one of the things we'll be keenly looking at is uh, what do they do with that ladder down? Do they ladder it back up immediately and then ladder it back down to the end of summer? Or So we'll be looking at that. I guess the other thing that we'll be looking for is are they somehow going to, you know, as we kind of talked about earlier on in this podcast, are they going to simplify the rules? Are they going to, you know, when they target those specific industries that we talked about, tourism, travel, what have you, will they use the wage subsidy to do that, as we already discussed? I'm well, sure I'm sure simplification is not one it's not it's not something they would do. I hope they do because I think that's been a real barrier to pick up on this. You know, they budgeted what, eighty two billion dollars mm-hmm. and there there hasn't even been close to that amount of money, even as we discussed in one of our earlier podcasts. Um but yeah, no, know. no, no way, no way. Uh, they, they, to, to have a ladder scale down approach, you need that mechanical complexity. And to appear prevent abuses by people like you and I who would go nuts if they have no anti-avoidance rules, <laughs> they needed those anti-avoidance rules in there. No, I don't disagree that they need anti-avoidance rules. I would like to see a simpler approach, but unfortunately when you're targeting, and, and there is a, a need to target uh, mm-hmm. for sure, um, that comes with complexity and administrative issues. So, so you're probably right, Kenneth, even though I would like to see it somehow simplified. All right, what else did we forget? Anything? I think that's all. I think that's it, eh? Mm-hmm. So watch for uh, further, further stuff in this space, and thank you for your time, and we'll catch you next time. Bye now. Bye-bye.